You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. I mean, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 6, I, I considered going a different direction today and uh, maybe addressing uh, what the Bible has to say about everything we're struggling with, but then Holy Spirit said, nope, uh, you're going to stick with what you've been doing, you're going to stick in the book of Acts, and we're just going to keep uh, moving right on through this book, so we'll be in Acts chapter 6. As you're finding your place, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, North Carolina Baptists as well, have... Uh, have called us out today to be a day of prayer uh, for our nation, for our world, and for all that is going on with this, with the virus. And I find it interesting that today also ends our 40 days of prayer. Now that was planned way back in September, October, November. Uh, isn't it interesting how things work out? The song set you just heard, uh, we didn't change anything. That's exactly what God had laid on Bobby's heart and the team's heart to sing today, but I think it's extremely appropriate. I love it when the Holy Spirit knits things together and leaves us humans out of the equation other than to be obedient to what he's already done. So I'm going to ask for Pastor Bobby uh, to lead us in prayer this morning as we join with churches all across our country, either online or meeting together, even all the way around the world. Um, we've got to understand that while things are kind of in upheaval here, we tend to forget about those who live in other nations around the world who don't have technology, they don't have hospitals and, and medical facilities the way that we do. So their concerns and their worries are even much higher than ours because they don't have access to the things that we have access to. And we certainly want to remember our brothers and sisters around the world in churches, uh, Christ followers, and those, the communities that they serve, uh, that God would be with them, protect them encourage them, strengthen them, just like we're praying for our community and for our country as well. So I'm going to ask for Pastor Bobby, if he will, join us in prayer, whether you're online or here, just bow your heads. And Pastor Bobby, if you will, lead us in this prayer. Father God, we thank you so much this morning that we have the opportunity to gather in your presence, first of all, but also with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we know that across this country and across this world that we are gathered this morning with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we thank you that we can celebrate that. And God, so many things going on in the world today. So many things that concern us and give us caution, cause fear and worry. God, we can't be controlled by that. We can't be guided by that. God, what we need to be is we need to be faithful to you. We need to trust you. We need to recognize above everything else that your sovereignty never ends. Your sovereignty never ends. It is never challenged. And in that sovereignty, Lord, we know that you've got every single bit of this in your hands. So what have we got to worry about? 
What have we got but be concerned about? So we put our trust in you. We put our hope in you. We put our faith in you. And in so doing, Lord, we know that we can make it through anything. God, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name that we pray. So when I was growing up, my, my grandfather had a, uh, at the back of his yard, right at the edge of the property line, he had this, this large, large grapevine. The grapevine was so big that, that you couldn't see the trellis that was underneath it. And I can remember as a, as a kid growing up, we go visit my, my grandparents. Um, I would go out in the backyard at just the right time, and there'd be just grapes just hanging off these vines. And my grandfather would, would give away as many as he could. And during the winter months when the leaves were kind of off the vine, you could just see the vine, you could see the trellis. You, you would see this trellis, and the, and the trellis was all kind of broken down. I don't, I don't know when my grandfather built it. It had to be a, very old. Uh, it was kind of rottening. The paint was peeling off of it, and every so often he'd go out there and you'd see a fresh piece of wood in it that he would kind of screw into it to kind of hold it up. And at other times you would see where he would maybe prop it up or he would have some strings tied to hold the trellis up because it was holding up this very old grapevine, and that grapevine produced a tremendous amount of fruit. And uh, it was a joy every time that the grapes would come into season. And he would, he would work at the vine, and he would cut the vine back. He would trim it to make sure it was healthy. Uh, but he didn't give a lot of attention to the trellis. The trellis was just there to serve the purpose of keeping the vine up off the ground so the fruit would be healthy. He didn't spend a lot of time focusing on the trellis. He, he focused more of his attention on the fruit. Now, that doesn't mean the trellis isn't important. Uh, the trellis is important but not the most important. Now, you might be wondering why am I talking about grapevines and trellises. Well, uh, there's a book that I read. It's one of my favorite books. It's called The Vine and the Trellis. It's a, it's a book that a couple guys wrote that, that talk about the ministry of the local church and, and how that, the, the ministry of the local church has a, a calling upon it to, to bear fruit, not only individually, but corporately. What, what does fruit look like? Well, we could look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It talks about the fruits of the Spirit, where we're to be people of love and patience and kindness and gentleness. And, and that, that, that doesn't come automatically for us. That, that when we're born again and the Holy Spirit lives, lives inside of us and it empowers us to live out those fruits of the Spirit, it is something we must practice over and over and over again to become effective. Well, that's one set of fruits. Another fruit that is clear that the New Testament church must be giving evidence of is, is new disciples. Pe people coming from, from darkness into light. People coming from, from the walk of the world to the walk with Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. That there must be fruit being born of the church. And, and that fruit certainly must include disciples who then turn around and make disciples. While at the same time exhibiting the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The church that I grew up in, it, it never got any larger than about 125. I think that's the largest the church ever got. And, and, and the church was very focused on trying to reach their community. And we had one pastor. We never had multi-staff. We, we only had one pastor. He was bivocational. Every pastor that I had was bivocational. But, and and he, he was a, an automatic transmission repair guy and a pastor of the church that I grew up in. And, he was pastor there for some 30 years, and he's really the only pastor I've known growing up. And, 
the, the church looked to him to, to pretty much do everything that the church required, whether it be administration, uh, whether it be uh, putting out information in the Sunday schools to make sure the church is informed, uh, visitation, nursing homes, hospitals, funerals, weddings, discipleship, outreach, administration, and even at times even having to count the offerings. Seems like a lot, doesn't it? It's as though the church completely depended upon him. It's not to say that there weren't deacons that were involved. And it's not to say that there were other people serving, but predominantly the church rested upon the pastor and what the pastor did. Now, what's the connection between the vine and a trellis? And this bivocational pastor that I love dearly who, who made a huge impact in my life. We're going to run into a problem in Acts 6. Now, we've already seen some problems in the New Testament church. We saw, we saw the problem of the Sanhedrin coming down upon Peter and John as the man at the gate called Beautiful was healed, and that caused all kinds of a stir. We, we see the inside trouble that happened with Ananias and Sapphira, that, that they became arrogant and prideful, and they wanted people to look at them and, and hold them in high regard, so they lied about the offering that they gave and said that this was all when, in fact, it wasn't, and they paid with their lives. Then we see more outside pressure where the Sanhedrin gathers and says, we got to do something about this. They arrest, they arrest the apostles, put them in jail, only to be released miraculously. And the whole story ended last week. If you remember, they were beaten 39 times, each of the ones who were arrested. We don't know who exactly. We just know that some of the apostles, certainly Peter and John, was involved in that. And they were, they were beaten across the back and across the chest with a leather belt 39 times and they show mercy by not doing 40, so they save one lash for mercy's sake. So we've had outside pressure, we've had inside division, we've, we've gone back and forth and back and forth, and at chapter 6, at chapter 6, we have a brand new issue that arises. Now it could be that Peter, who has kind of taken leadership in the early church. You, you, we keep seeing Peter's name come up, right? Now, as we move on through the book of Acts, you're going to see kind of Peter fall back into the background, and you're going to see some other people emerge. As we've walked through this, we've seen other people step forward and lead and serve. We see the church multiplying. We see the church loving one another by, by even selling their own goods and giving to those in need. We've seen all of that. But in chapter 6, something new happens, and it has to be addressed. And if we kept the model that I grew up with, this issue in chapter 6 would have been Peter's responsibility to fix. Not only to fix, but Peter's responsibility to go take care of this problem and put his hands into the work and get it done. The church I grew up in would have said this is the pastor's responsibility to deal with this, to fix it, and to make sure this problem is addressed. And then remember, the church is to bear fruit. But that church needs some structure to be able to function correctly and effectively. The, the church needs, needs leaders. The church needs people who are willing to serve. Did you know as we are in this building right now, we have a team all the way on the other side of the building who are simply here to serve this church by counting the offerings that you just gave, and they do it every single week? Thank God for those people. Thank God for our security team who keeps an eye on our campus. Thank God for people who are, who are willing to serve in children's ministry in all kinds of roles every single week. We need those people. We have to have them. But the point always of any structure of any church is to bear fruit. You see, it would be really, really, really odd if we had the fanciest trellis in town, but no fruit. 
It would be odd to have a trellis that is meant to support a vine so that it bears fruit, to have the fanciest, most most uh, in-order trellis in the world with no vines and no fruit. In other words, it would be strange to have a church that is so organized and so well put together, but they're not reaching anybody for the, for the kingdom. Would that not be strange? It would be by New Testament standards. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, that's the first challenge that the church has had to face throughout this whole journey. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Luke keeps highlighting the fact that disciples are making disciples and more and more people are coming to faith in Christ. For example, Acts 2.41, you don't have to turn back there. I want to give you these. Acts 2.41, Luke records this. So those who received the word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 4.4, many of those who heard the word and believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Acts 5.14, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, Acts 5.14. You see, Luke just keeps giving this this running account that the church is expanding and expanding and expanding. By the time we get to Acts chapter 6, you know how much time has passed from Pentecost till the opening of Acts chapter 6? Five years. Five years has passed. Now, when you read the book of Acts, you don't really pick up on that. You think this is happening like day after day after day. But over five years, God has blessed and moved and, and had the church in such a place that they have grown and grown and grown. And I'm, I'm guessing at this point, maybe somewhere between 10, 15,000 disciples, maybe more. 10 to 15,000? That's probably a low estimate. And you got to know that the multiplying, the increasing of number of disciples is not just because the 12 are out in the street preaching the gospel. It's definitely connected to that. But, but the reason that this thing is exponentially growing is because those who've come to faith in Christ are telling others about the faith that they found. They're, these are people who are out there talking about the Jesus that has changed their life. They are freely sharing it in the streets of Jerusalem and all over Judea. Remember, the church at this point is predominantly a Jerusalem-Judea movement. It hasn't went beyond there. It will. In your next couple of weeks, you're going to see what God uses to take the church beyond the walls of Jerusalem and Judea. So the disciples were increasing in number. Imagine this. Imagine that through the ministries of this church, all of a sudden, 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus and then looked to us to disciple them, to baptize them, to train them and equip them. How would we handle that? Well, I hope that you wouldn't say, well, pastor, that's your job. Because I hope you can see that that would be pretty much a failure. Day one. Imagine that we would have to disciple, pour into, and equip 3,000. What would we do? How would we do it? Well, this is exactly the questions that the leadership and the disciples of the New Testament church are struggling with. Now notice this. A complaint by the Hellenists arose. Now, I know that seems odd that there would be a complaint in church. I know that sounds odd. I know that's hard to wrap your arms around, but, but just hang with me for a moment. A complaint arises by the Hellenists. Who are the Hellenists? Well, the Hellenists are Jewish people who've been influenced greatly by Greek culture. Also, these are the ones who are not living inside Jerusalem, 
but they're in the outer areas of Judea, and they have been greatly influenced by Greek culture. In other words, these would be the folks that are not your traditional Jews. They do not speak Aramaic. They speak Greek. They, they don't adhere to some of the older customs as the, as the Jerusalem Jewish people do. So there is a difference between the Hellenist and the Judean Jerusalem Jews. They're, they're two different groups of people, and you can see right from the very beginning here that this is the opportunity for something to break down. I have heard down through the years of churches who really wanted to grow, right? And they changed their ministries, they, they, they changed things, and they begin to reach people. And then all of a sudden, when they begin to reach people, all these new people that come into the church, they have different backgrounds and different cultures, and they act different, they talk different, they're younger than us or they're older than us. And the next thing you know, the church begins to think, well, do we really want to reach people? Do, do we really want to reach people? Because when you reach people and you disciple them, change is the automatic result of that. And this church is struggling with the, the idea that, that now we're reaching Jewish people who are different than us. They talk different, they look different, they, they act different. And guess what happens? A complaint arises. And, the, and it was by the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews, the Judean Typical, traditional Jewish people, and here's the complaint, that the Hellenists, their widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. What does that mean? Luke has drawn our attention to the reality of the love that is in this church. And what they're doing is they're, they're selling things. They're providing food and necessities to other people who, who didn't have them. So they set up this process by which on a daily, regular basis, they were giving out rations to meet the needs of the people who were in their community, who were, who were in the church, who didn't have anything. So it became this regular activity that the church would distribute goods, food, items. I don't know what they are, but it was meeting the needs, especially of those who were the most vulnerable in the community. You know who they were? The widows. The widows. No one was looking out for them. The, the Jewish law had said that they were supposed to be taken care of but they were not being taken care of. So these widows put their faith in Jesus, come into the church, and they begin to make sure these widows are taken care of. But the Hellenists realized or noticed that it seems like the Hebrews, their widows, are getting more attention with the rations than those of the Greek culture. Now, this sets up a serious problem. Because you can understand that in, in, in very short order, it could become a very racial issue. It, it could become that, oh, only the Hebrews, their widows, maybe they're more important than we are. It, it seems as though they're getting more attention. It seems as though they're getting more rations. It seems as though they're being taken care of while the rest of us who happen to be Greek-speaking Jews, our widows, are being neglected. You can see where Satan could do some powerful damaging work in this congregation. And rightfully so, at this particular stage when the church is growing exponentially, Satan loves to creep in and cause incredible division. Something's got to be done. But is it going to be Peter's responsibility to just go out there and start serving tables? Is it going to be the responsibility of the twelve to go out and then begin to make sure that all the food is distributed equally. In other words, is Peter and John and James going to go out there and make sure, okay, we've got, we've got three packs of this, make sure that everybody gets the same amount. Are they going to be able to go out and do this? Is that what we would expect of Peter, James, John, 
the others. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we shall appoint to this duty. Now, we've we got to realize something here, and I want you to make sure you get this. The twelve are not saying that serving the widows is beneath them. The, the, the twelve are not saying, look, this service is so far beneath us that, that we, we have to spend our time over here, and we're not going to put our hands to serving these poor widows because we're better than that. That's not at all what they're saying. You see, the real problem here is, is that they've got so many people that have come to faith in Christ. And remember, Acts 2, 41 through 47 says that they were teaching them doctrine, teaching them how to pray, praying with them, breaking bread together. They were baptizing. They were, they were equipping these people. This has been going on now for five years. And 15,000 people put their faith in Jesus. The core issue here is not the racism. The core issue here is, is how do we disciple all these people and make sure all the needs are met? Now, racism certainly could have become an issue. Satan would have definitely wanted to use that to divide this church. So there's a plan. And I wonder, I wonder if these 12 didn't think back to Moses. If you remember Moses after the Exodus, Moses is out there and he's, he's spending all day into the night judging and helping reconcile differences among the people. And then Jethro comes and says, Moses, what are you doing? You, you can't do this. You're going to wear yourself out. There's no way you can do this. Appoint this work to someone else and, and give it away. Seven men are chosen. Notice the criteria about how they're chosen. He says, men of good repute. These, these must be men. These must be men who are, who are honorable men. Men that can be trusted. Men that that have a testimony. These also must be men that obviously put their faith in Jesus and have some maturity about them. So what I want you to notice is after five years, what has been happening in the New Testament church is now we have a whole new crop of leaders that have come up. We have a whole new crop of men and women who've now been equipped, who've been, who've been invested into by somebody. This is a group of seven men who somebody else has invested into. These are seven men who have who have testimonies. Not only that, but they are men full of the Spirit and of wisdom. In other words, they must be filled with the Holy Spirit. They must be, they must be men who are walking with Christ faithfully. It must be tangible. And when you look at their life, that these are men that are trustworthy. The interesting thing about all seven of these men, more than likely, all seven of these men are Hellenistic Jews. <laughs> now, why do you think the church would have done that? I think it was an incredible stroke of wisdom here that if all seven of these men are hellenistic jews what better group of men to make sure the widows of the greek-speaking jews are being met that that the church is not trying to isolate anyone they're trying to serve and they're trying to make sure everyone's needs are met so you have these seven men who are chosen and they're described as men who are have a good testimony full of faith full of wisdom and then they are publicly affirmed. I want you to see this. These seven men are brought together. The, the apostles 
lay hands on them in front of the crowd and publicly affirm that these seven are going to be given to not only the task of making sure that the daily distribution is taken care of, but I would imagine that the responsibilities of these seven men are even greater than that, that they're going to be serving the body in a lot of different ways. But the twelve, what are they going to give their attention to? Verse 6, it says, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. If you look at verse 4, it says, We will devote ourselves. That word devote means steadfast. They will devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. In other words, the twelve say, We're going to give this away. We're going to empower these seven. We're going to bless these seven. We're going to put these seven in front of the entire congregation. They're going to be serving you. We are going to retreat back, and we're going to spend our time in God's word. We're going to spend our time in, in prayer. We're going to spend our time in leading and making sure that the church moves forward. They're dividing up the duties. Now, nowhere in Acts chapter 6 is the word deacon used. But we certainly see a model here of what Paul's going to speak about later, that the church is to have men who are set apart. Set apart to not only serve the needs of the congregation, but also to allow the other group, which I'm going to refer to as the elders, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, that they're able to be along with God, cast the vision for the church, make sure we stay on mission and stay focused on what we're about, while these who've been set apart that we understand to be deacons serve the needs of the church, the needs of the widows, the needs of the orphans, the needs of, of the body as a whole, servants of the congregation. So they called these men aside, they set them aside, they laid hands on them, and they prayed. Now look at verse 7. It says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I'm amazed at how Luke continually brings us back to this particular issue. That yes, there's division. Yes, there's problems. Yes, there's things that need to be dealt with in the body, in the church. But every, every time we see this, what do we see? We see growth. We, we see the church continuing to reach. We see people coming to faith in Christ. We see this continually all the way through all of this five years. That no matter what challenge they've had to face, they've faced it. And they've empowered others to serve the body. So a church to be able to function, must have a, a trellis, right? We've we got to have some organization. We've we, we got to have some policies. We've got to have some things that we, that we try to do. I never thought when I was growing up that, that I would ever have to sit down with our leadership and plan a security team. I never thought I would have to do that. But yet, the culture and the world that we live and the people that we're trying to reach and the issues that our community has, it, it is... It is wise for us to have a security team, a group of people who are set apart, who are keeping an eye on this flock while we meet every Sunday. And I thank God for them. But I never thought that we would have to build part of our trellis to include a security team. I never thought that I would spend hours upon hours looking at information about a virus that I know very little about, quite honestly. But this week has required us as leaders to begin to understand what all this is about and not get caught up in the hype, but yet at the same time, do due diligence for our congregation to make sure that you're healthy and you have the right information and that we're, we're not making the problem worse. I didn't know I would be doing that as a shepherd. But yet we have to do those things. We have to have some organization. We have to have some teams of people who are serving and leading and 
and doing the things that we need to do is required. And, and the reason we have those things, the reason we have bylaws, the reason we have policies is not for the policies themselves so that we can bear fruit and bear much fruit so that the vine, the, the sheep can be healthy and vibrant and that we can continue to grow and reach more people. The problem becomes is when we focus so much on the trellis that we forget about the vine. I, I can tell you that there are churches across our country who've become so focused on the organization, they, they've become so focused on the policies, they've become so focused on their buildings, they've become so focused on having all of that exactly perfect that they have completely forgotten that they are called to bear fruit and much fruit. There are churches all across our country that have decided that it's easier to do trellis work than it is to do vine work. And I will guarantee you, I promise you, you would probably agree with that. Look, it's a whole lot easier to have a business meeting and talk about the color of the carpet than it is to practice church discipline with someone who has stepped away from the faith. Would you agree? It's a whole lot easier for us to be consumed with parking lots and paint and buildings and, and carpet. Isn't it, isn't it ironic that we're talking about this when you pulled into the parking lot to get today and you say, wow, something seems different on this building up here in the front. You couldn't help but notice it, right? Isn't it interesting that ironically we're talking about trellis versus vine at the very time we are in the middle of construction over here trying to get our building put back together. Here's the point. If we get too focused on what's happening over there, if we get too focused on paint and chairs and carpet, and we get off of our mission, and that is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, if we start focusing too much on making sure we have a pretty trellis for the community to see, and we get away from the good news of the gospel, we will fail in our mission. And as long as I'm your pastor, I'm not going to let that happen. And our leadership is not going to let that happen. Do we need to focus on that over there? Yeah. Do, do we need to have our building restored? Yeah. But the reason we need the building restored is so we can continue to do what God has called us to do. I'm not interested in having pretty buildings. <laughs> I'm not interested in having the latest, greatest technology. Is it good? Is it tools? Yes. Am I consumed with it? No. And here's why. I'm more consumed with meeting with a few guys, a few young men who've come to faith in Christ that I can pour my life into and see them go out and tell other people about the Jesus they found. That's what I want to be about at the end of the day. And I want us as a church body to not, get, to not get so focused on the trellis that we forget that the trellis is there to bear fruit. I'm, I'm fine if the trellis gets hidden in amongst all the vines. I'm, I'm fine if the trellis gets hidden with all the fruit that is bearing on the vines because of your faithfulness with the gospel to your neighbor across the street. I'm fine if the trellis gets lost in that. I'm fine if our, our balls fade into the background. I'm fine if the name of Hyde Park is not trumpeted across the nation. Jesus' name is the name that needs to be trumpeted across the nation from you and from I. And no, what better time to do that than right now? Your neighbors are scared to death. Your neighbor across the street is closed off in fear. What they need to see is a Christ follower who's, yes, using common sense, but at the same time, happy. I'm talking crazy happy. I'm talking overflowing with joy. You're not, you don't seem to be uptight like everyone is. Why is that? What is it about you that's different? I'll tell you what's different. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding that comes with following Jesus. Let me tell you about it. 
they had to have some trellis here. They had to have some trellis work. If they didn't have it, it was going to be a mess. I want you to see what they did here as we kind of close out here. You see, when a movement grows, when God begins to move, and listen, we've spent the last 40 days praying. Several of you set aside time to fast for 10 days during that 40 days. And part of what you saw in those devotionals, part of what you got every day was a preparation for us as a body of Christ to be prepared for what God's going to do next and to be ready to be, be walking with Him and abiding with Him and talking about it and the great work that He's doing. There, are time, there comes times where we need to take a look at our trellis. We are looking at that now. We, we've been working for, for several months now uh, on bylaws. Now you may be thinking, wow, that seems really boring. Trust me when I tell you, the way the church was operating versus our bylaws, we were in two separate places. The, the bylaws hadn't been touched since the late 90s. This church is totally different from where it was now, where it is now to where it was this. So we are, we've got some good, wise people who are taking a look at that, and I'm helping them with that. But you've got to understand that the whole point of the changes is going to come as a result, that the church will have an opportunity to approve. The point of this is, is so that we can bear fruit, bear much fruit. Notice what happens in this. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is, is there is a plurality of leaders leading the charge here. There is a plurality of leaders, the twelve, who have, who have been leading the church. What does that mean? Well, it means that somebody had to make a decision here. I, I want you to notice this, and with all humility, I want you to see it. They didn't call a whole bunch of committees and ask for a vote. Now, we're a congregational church. We, we vote on budgets, we vote on staff, and we want the congregation engaged. We want the congregation to be engaged every step of the way. But there comes a time when a decision has to be made, and this plurality of elders had to step up and make the decision. Notice what they did. They said, choose from among you. They gave the principles. And they looked at the congregation, and they said to the congregation, Congregation, look out among yourselves, and you say, you tell us who there's seven men among you who's ready to serve. And you know what they did? The congregation did exactly that. The elders led, they looked at the congregation, said, congregation, choose. The congregation chose, and they put forward seven men. And what did the apostles do? The apostles laid hands on them, prayed over them, and separated them. What I find here, and what you're going to find throughout the rest of the New Testament, is a trust in the leaders from the congregation. But that trust must be earned. It must be earned. I, I am... I am very blessed to have a church like you. You guys, uh, you guys put your trust in me, and you have trusted me many times down through. And I, I want to be honest, there's some times I've made some really bad choices. <laughs> I've made some bad calls. But you guys have been gracious. You, you've, been, you've been loving towards me and my family, and I couldn't ask for anything more. And I want you to know that whatever decisions we've made, the decisions we've had to make this past week, they've been bathed in prayer. They've been laid in a plurality of guiding and connecting with other leaders in our church saying, what do you think about this? How are you feeling about this? What do you see about this? And, and we come to the best decisions we can thinking about you and what's best for you and what's best for our congregation and to make sure that we stay on track with what God has called us to do. But these 12, they've been called to shepherd and they've been called to lead. And they've been allowed to do that. 
I've been called to shepherd and I've been called to lead and you've allowed me to do that and I am deeply, deeply grateful for that. Notice that not only have they been called to lead and that's exactly what they're doing, but they look out and among the congregation and there are disciples out there that they're going to call to this very specific work. So this group of elders, this group of leaders, is casting the vision, setting the principles. They look to the congregation and say, Congregation, join us in this. And what we would like for you to do is you choose among from yourselves seven men who stand out, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, filled full with wisdom. Good, good repute. But notice this, the congregation, they are empowered. Why is it that we vote on budgets? Why is it that we, that we vote on staff? Why is it we voted on all this stuff with the budgets? It's because... We want the congregation to be engaged in where we're going and where God is leading us. And the congregation has the opportunity to say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, this doesn't seem right or this doesn't seem the way we are. And that's a wonderful thing. And we want that engagement because as leaders, sometimes we get it wrong. So we want the congregation's involvement. We want them to bear upon where we're going. And not only that, we want you to buy in. We want you to join in the work that God is doing. So we invite you to be part of the decision-making of the church. I need to say something to our Hyde Park people specifically right here. I know I've got several guests today. I'm glad you're here, but I need to talk to my Hyde Park folks just a moment. If you're a member of this church, and uh, you, you've, you've put down roots here, and, and this is your home church, can, can I ask you for something? I need you to come to our business meetings. I need you here. I'm so thankful for the ones that have came. I think I'm so thankful for those who come out every time we have a quarterly business meeting or a special call meeting, and they're here and they're faithful. But I'm going to tell you something. I need to look out in this group and see more than 20 people here for a business meeting. You may not think they're important, but they're vitally important, not only for the decision-making process, but for you to be engaged and know what's happening. So if you're a member of this church, show up. Please come out. We invite you. We're not afraid to have business meetings. Can I say this? In seven years, seven years, you've heard me say this before, as we're saying again, in seven years of leading this church and being part of this church, I have not had one single bad business meeting. Thank God for that. Not one. That says a lot about who you are. I've not had one single bad deacon's meeting. I've not had one deacon's meeting that I walked out of and go, man, man, I'm already dreading next month. Not a single time. Got a group of men that are godly men that I love dearly who are my friends, some of the best friends I've got in the world that I get to meet with. And we come together, we pray together, and we get into God's Word together. And yes, we have to make decisions and do some trellis work together. But we're together, and I love that about this church. The high part, folks, I got—I got to ask you. I, I got to ask you to be here. We got a lot of big decisions that's, that need to be, and we need your input. You've got some perspective that we need to hear. So please be here. Please be part. Be engaged in what's happening here. And if you had a bad experience at a business meeting somewhere back twenty years ago, put that out of your mind. You'll see something beautiful and amazing when you come to ours. The congregation is engaged. And finally, the church's influence, unity, and reach are all increased as a result. You see, the whole point of the trellis work that they're doing here, the whole point of that was what you see in verse 7. As a result of the fact that these 12 have empowered other people to serve and have given them that ministry, 
and told them to just go take care of it, get done with it. The apostles step back. They're spending more time in prayer, spending more time in God's Word, spending more time making sure the church is moving forward, that the doctrine is being teached, that the church is, is being prayed for and prayed over, the disciples are being made. The church continues to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In a few months, maybe in a few weeks, depending on how it goes, we're going to have some new bylaws for you to look at. And that's why I'm saying you, as a member of the church, you need to be here for those discussions because there's a lot of things in those new bylaws that are going to prepare us for the future, prepare us to bear fruit in the future, to, to help our church operate in such a way that our mission and our vision and what God has told us to do is our primary focus, but we have to have some support and some organization. And guess what else we need? We need more people serving. We need more people engaged. And we need more people making sure that our neighbors are taken care of. Uh, folks, I'm going to tell you something, and, and this is going to come in the form of an apology to you. I have a very hard time in any given week keeping up with what's going on in this church. There's often times that people are falling through the cracks. Oftentimes there are times where, where I don't know about something till after the fact. And then I try to go back and make it right or do the right thing and help the best I can. And trust me when I tell you, I'm giving away as much as I can give away. But there are times until we get some new structure, some new trellis built, there's some times that things just fall through, our, through the cracks of the church, through our fingers. And it's not intentional. I want, you to, I want you to understand this. That please think the best of your leaders first before thinking the worst. I want you to know where I'm spending my time right now. I have some young men that I'm pouring my life into right now. I want a third of my time to be invested in some young men or some men who are just new to the faith or some men who have who've maybe been in faith for quite some time but have never had one-on-one -on -one discipleship. I'm doing that right now. A large other part of the ministry right now is counseling. We still have people who are recovering from two hurricanes. Their marriages are in trouble because of two hurricanes. We're spending a lot of time counseling. CR, Celebrate Recovery, is a great place for people to be able to go and plug in. But I want you to understand, from a leader's perspective and a servant of this church, there are times that I simply miss something. And I, I ask for your grace. And I ask for your mercy. And I ask for your kindness. And I ask for you to think the best of me first. It's certainly not intentional. But until we get some new structure in place, and we're working on that, we have a great group of deacons right now that are at your call, that are in the bulletin every week that you can call on, that can serve. But we're going to do our very best to make sure nobody's missed. But I want you to understand, it's not because we've intentionally forgot about you. Folks out there in Internet world that are watching us today, um, there, there are some of you out there that maybe we've let fall through the cracks. And I want to look at you and tell you that I'm sorry that that's happened. We love you. We're going to do our very best to reconnect. If there's something we've missed that we don't even know about, please let us know. And we'll do our very best to make it right. In the future, we want to multiply just like this New Testament church. We want to reach more people. And it's going to take some trellis work. And yes, it's going to take some changes. But it's going to take this body working together, serving together, taking care of one another. Because if we grow to 400, 500, 600, 700, 1,000, it's only going to get more difficult. And we've got to have more shepherds at the table, more people who are checking on other people to make sure that they're loved and cared for. Lost person, 
I know you probably checked out on me early because, well, we're talking about the church, right? Talking about the trellis, talking about the vine. But you are the reason. You are the reason we're making the changes we need to make. You and your family is the very reason why we do what we do every single week. You're the reason that that we keep trying and attempting and, and proclaiming the gospel and praying for you. We keep lifting you up because we know you stand between heaven and hell. We know that you, you are walking a knife edge and at any moment your life could end. And it could be that on this very day, at this very moment, you are overrun with fear simply because of what you're hearing in the news. And then you look around at other people in this room and you go, how in the world are they so calm? How in the world is this church even meeting today? Have they not heard the news? Yeah, we've heard it. But here's where we stand. And I want you to see the difference. For the Christ follower, we're not seeking martyrdom. We're not seeking death. But I can tell you this. If I don't live to see tomorrow, I'm okay. I'm all right. So whether in life or in death, with the cross of Jesus Christ, I have the victory. Whether I get sick from some terrible virus and I leave this world at a young age, whether God lets me live another 30, 40 years, either way, the end result's still the same. When I die, I'm okay. Everything's all right. You have that assurance? You have that peace down deep in your soul that says, no matter what else comes down the line. Look, we're talking about coronavirus today. Two years from now, we'd be talking about something else. No matter what we're talking about, no matter what we're dealing with, you have that peace that is abiding deep in your soul that no matter where the winds blow, it's going to be okay. That's why we're here. It's to make sure you know that there's good news. And all the bad news, that there is some good news. Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness, your kindness, and your patience. And Father, as you lead us forward into the future, um, there are some things that have to change. And Father, change is not always easy. But Father, what has to change is that more and more people are engaged in the ministry. That the answer is not just hiring more staff. The answer is not necessarily looking to the pastors to do it all. But there must be engagement with this congregation, not only in the life of this church, but in this community with the good news of the gospel. Father, we exist not to have a nice building. We exist not to have a fancy worship space. We don't exist to have all the nicest programs. We don't exist so that Hyde Park's name will be up in lights. We don't exist so that people will talk about us and how great we are. Father, we exist that your name may be made, that your name may be made popular, famous, known throughout this community and throughout this world. But we don't have to be afraid. We can have confidence and peace in something greater than ourselves. Father, have your will and your way in this moment of commitment. You know the hearts of the people that are here. Do that work in their heart that only you can do. As a church body, as we move into the future, as we continue to follow you by faith, Father, we want to have a church that is bearing fruit. So, Father, I pray that we can make the changes we need to make to bear the fruit you've called us to bear. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist. 